So we are uh, continuing the series that we've started throughout the summer, and we're continuing through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, today we are in chapters 19 and 20, and as we've been covering, you know, two chapters a week, um, just today, just like all these other weeks, there are so many stories and miracles and things that we have not covered. And so I encourage you to be reading along on your own, uh, you know, studying some of these different stories and miracles uh, throughout the gospel. Today, we are just going to be in Luke 19. I'm not even going to touch 20 today in the message, but in the follow-up questions, you're going to be looking at chapter 20. So again, I encourage you to get those questions and read on your own uh, and, and to see those. Um, but we have been working our way through this gospel throughout the summer, and here we are within we have two weeks left of this series. Okay, so one shows that we are one at the end of the summer, but also um, we are also at a turning point in the gospel. As we hit today, chapter 19 is the transition. Okay, and we have two very familiar stories that we're going to look at today um, in the story of Zacchaeus and the triumphal entry. Okay, but these two stories, again, are, uh, are the conclusion of one part of the gospel right, of Jesus' public ministry, of his miracles, and his teaching that he does throughout the whole area of the region, and as he's teaching his disciples and drawing these big crowds with these miracles. Okay, and, and uh, again, the story of Zacchaeus is, is the last kind of the, the, the stamp on that section, and then we have the triumphal entry, which brings in the last week of Jesus' life. Okay, and so we are heading down now for the next two weeks, we go into what we call Holy Week, and what we celebrate around Easter, starting with Palm Sunday, right into Easter, but now this is the section of the gospel, right, of the last week of Jesus' life. And so today is the transition into this last phase. Um, with, with that said, like I said, we have two weeks left in this series, so if you've enjoyed the gospels, then um, maybe that's a sad thing for you. If you're ready to move on to a new series, like we only got two weeks left, guys, it's okay. Okay, we're almost there. But today we're going to start out in Luke chapter 19 uh, with the story of Zacchaeus. And so if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to open with me to follow along. Luke chapter 19. Um, we're going to start at verse 1. If you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles available for you in the seat pockets in front of you. And on the outline is the page numbers of where you can find this passage in that Bible. So we're going to jump into this familiar story with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19 verse 1 where it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, as we read this story, again, this is a, a familiar story. It is a story that, that, um, that is very popular, especially in 
um, kids' curriculum, kids' Bibles. It's a story that, that finds its way, again, into children's Bibles and Sunday school lessons. Again, if you grew up in the church going to Sunday school, you probably remember this story. In fact, if you Google Zacchaeus, everything, the first hundred things that come up are color pages. Because they're, they're just, it's a very popular story, uh, again, that we teach to our kids. Now, and rightfully so. There are uh, lots of great points, right, and, and lessons for them within this story. And, but it is typically taught as a standalone story. And again, we teach it in that even a lot of times to adults. We teach it as a standalone story. But yet, as we have worked our way through the gospel through the summer, chapter by chapter, okay, we have seen um, these themes that keep popping up. Okay, and these, through all, all of these miracles, all these stories, all these, these, these lessons that Jesus is teaching. And this story of Zacchaeus um, is literally um, the climax of this section of the gospel. Okay, it is, as I said, it is that the end of this, this Jesus' public teaching ministry part of the story. Okay, and then and they, we see uh, all of these lessons that we've already learned in previous stories and previous miracles um, come out in this story. It is truthfully um, a summary of everything that Jesus has taught up to this point. Luke has been building up to this story of Zacchaeus, and now here we are in the climax story. Okay, Jesus literally calls out Zacchaeus by his name amongst the crowd. Okay, this is a very significant part of the story, and this was a deliberate calculated move by Jesus. Okay, this was not an accident. Okay, this, as we say, Luke has been building up to this story. Jesus um, knew that it, when he gets to Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, I am going to have this interaction with Zacchaeus. Okay, he calls him out by name, and this was a, a divinely appointed interaction, right, between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but I felt that way a few times in my life where I get into a situation or a conversation or an interaction with somebody and I leave there going, that was a divinely instituted moment, right? That did not happen by accident, right? God did that on purpose, right? And he sent me or that person into my life at that moment. Okay, th this is a divine instituted moment between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Okay, th this is a time where, again, Jesus calls him out. Jesus pursues Zacchaeus, in the midst of this crowd, calls him out by name. Okay, and, and we see that, right? Jesus pursued Zacchaeus. Now, we know as well, and we've seen throughout this, right, that Jesus pursues us as well. We've seen it in, in a lot of stories and parables, right, that, that Jesus is pursuing all of us. Okay, Jesus is pursuing you, even right now. Okay, if you are here today just checking out church, checking out God, wondering is all this really real, right? I will tell you, God is pursuing you. Okay, and you're here because God wants you here today. Right, even if you're here, you've been a part of church for a long time, again, God wants you here. You are here on purpose. God is pursuing you in your faith journey. Okay, and so today as we dive into this, this story of Zacchaeus, I want to challenge us with this question. What is your reaction when God pursues you? Because God loves you more than you can imagine. He wants to transform your heart and your life as you journey towards him. And he is pursuing you. What is your reaction when you realize that to be true? Here he pursues Zacchaeus. He calls him out by name. Right? And, and yet Zacchaeus has a great reaction to Jesus. Okay? And so we see a couple ways that he reacts when he 
sees Jesus pursuing him. Number one is we see that Zacchaeus puts aside his own dignity and pride. Now again, as we think about this idea, and especially as an adult going through life, the idea that God is pursuing me sometimes can be a very humbling thing. Right? And we all have our own dignity and our own pride that we need to set aside so that Jesus can truly work. This story starts with Zacchaeus being hindered by the crowd. Right? There are these obstacles that are put in front of him, right, be, that are put between him and Jesus. Now, he has this desire right, to see Jesus. He's, he's heard about him. As, as we know, Jesus has made a big splash in the, in the community, and, and he's, he's gone around teaching and, and healing people right, and doing these miracles and, and making fun of the Pharisees and doing all these things. Like People have, have, are drawn to this. Right? By this phase of Jesus' ministry, right, he's pulling a big crowd. Okay, and and people, people know, they're like, hey, go hang out with him because Jesus feeds you, right? He heals you. He, he'll do it. Like, he's a good guy to be around. And so there's this, this large crowd, and Zacchaeus has these huge barriers in front of him because, one, he's, he's a short guy. Okay, and again, as a kid, again, one of the reasons we teach it to our kids, right, because our kids can identify with Zacchaeus. If you, as a kid, you're in a crowd. You know what it's like to not be able to see what's happening, right, on the other side of the people. And Zacchaeus, that's one hurdle is the crowd. Okay, so Zacchaeus does anything he can do to remove these barriers between him and Jesus. Okay, it literally says that he ran ahead of the crowd. Okay, now at this time, for one, for a man in their culture to run was very, very odd. It was something that, that would not happen. Okay, he was putting his dignity aside in order to run ahead. And then not only did he run ahead, but then he literally climbs up a tree. Okay, now just like in our culture, grown men don't climb trees very often. Right now, especially for Zacchaeus, who, who carries this, this, this position of authority. He was the chief tax collector. Right? He was not a low-level person in, in their society. He, was, he had moved his way up. And, and so he's, not only does he run ahead, but he, then he climbs a tree. He sets all of his dignity and pride aside because he is bound and determined to see Jesus. Now imagine, again, his excitement is he sees us now. Not only does he see Jesus, but Jesus calls him out by name, right, and, and pursues him. And as, he, as he, he sets his dignity and pride aside, right, Jesus, um, you know, continues to seek him out. Right? And then we see his reaction in verse 6, right, when it says Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. I encourage you to underline that phrase, great excitement and joy. Here, Jesus calls him by name, right, points out again that he's in the tree, right, and now everybody knows that he's climbed the tree. Okay, he comes down, he invites himself to his house, right, and Zacchaeus' reaction is with excitement and joy. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody invites themselves over to my house, that's not necessarily my reaction. Right, and again, we love people, having people over. Again, I mean, you're welcome to come to my house. Like, that's, uh, that's great, right? But yet, at the same time, if somebody come, walks up to me and is like, hey, Brian, I'm coming to your house, right? My first thought is, is the house clean enough for them to show up, <laughs> right? How, how are my kids going to act when they show up unannounced, right? How, what, what's going to, like, there's all these things. That it's not excitement and joy, necessarily, Right, and yet he, he comes and Zacchaeus is like, yes, come, excitement and joy. And then we see this, 
this interaction that happened, right, between Jesus and this chief tax collector. Now, again, Luke has been building up to this story. Luke has been, um, you know, using this theme of outcasts, right, and of people on the edge of society and how Jesus seeks out these people and how the Pharisees and the religious leaders don't like it, and there's this building tension, right? And so out of all of the people that Jesus could have invited himself over to their house as, Jesus chooses a chief tax collector, right? Again, this story, right, is, is the, the climax of what Luke has been building up to. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, right? And, and when he does this, he is, is, is instilling an honor back towards Zacchaeus. He said Jesus is very popular by this point. He draws a big crowd, right? Jesus is almost at celebrity status in a lot of ways, right? And by him going into the city and going to Zacchaeus' house, Right, as he has, has laid all of his dignity and pride aside in order to get to Jesus, now Jesus is, in turn, exalting Zacchaeus in the culture. Right, as he shows up at his house, because, again, anybody that Jesus gives the time of day to right, is going to get noticed by the community. Right, and once again, we see the climax of this story as we've seen this concept right, that Jesus seeks out the lost. Right, that, that, in fact, Jesus literally told us, if you sit at the, at the bottom of the table, you will be moved to the front, when the last will be first, and yet the first will end up last. And once again, we see this climax in this story. Right, as he puts away his dignity and pride, takes the, the, the humble, you know, foot of the table seat, and Jesus pushes him all the way to the seat of honor. Okay, as we see, Jesus, again, puts away his dignity and pride, but we also see that Zacchaeus gives Jesus his entire heart. He gives him his entire heart. He doesn't give him a little piece of it. He gives him his entire heart. Again, we've seen this concept throughout Luke, right, about um, where your treasure is, your heart will be, and where your heart will be, your treasure will be. Okay, this, again, is a concept we've seen over and over again, right, uh, Luke has talked about money and especially rich people quite a few times in the gospel leading up to this point. And up to this point, these rich people are not seen in a positive light in the gospel of Luke. Okay, in fact, in chapter 6, Jesus speaks against rich people, right, that they cannot do this, give him his entire heart. In chapter 12, um, Jesus calls a rich farmer a fool. In chapter 16, um, in this story, as the rich man goes to Hades and the poor Lazarus goes to heaven. And then even last week in chapter 18, right, Jesus had this interaction with this rich young ruler where he comes to him and, and Jesus, you know, tells him to, to sell all of his stuff, give it away. And then he goes away sad and Jesus looks at him and says, it is impossible for a rich man to be saved. And Jesus uses the phrase, right, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right, than for a rich man to be saved. And, and again, up to this point, right, and then Jesus' point is like, but what is impossible for man is possible with God. And when we look at, again, this overarching theme of, of Luke that we see happening in this story, right, is we see, again, that Jesus, who we are quickly told in the story, or that the, the Zacchaeus was very rich. 
and yet he ends up giving Jesus his entire heart. And we see this in verse 8, where he says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, and by the way, um, for him to be very rich as a tax collector, he has cheated people on his taxes. Okay, if I've cheated them, I'll give them back four times as much. Now again, Zacchaeus is just laying out his heart to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, well, what I have is yours, right? I'll, I'll give it away. I'll, I'll pay it back. I'll make it right. Okay, and again, where your heart is, your treasure will be, and where your treasure is, your heart will be. And again, the, the actual amounts of money that Zacchaeus describes is not the point here. The point is that Zacchaeus has given Jesus his heart. All right, now remember in 18, right, he told that rich guy, he says, give away everything. Right, and yet he was like, no, I can't do that, Jesus. You can't have my heart. Right here, right, Zacchaeus literally gives away half of what he has, and yet Jesus tells us that his heart has been fully given. Again, just like with God, the dollar, the actual dollar amounts is not the point, right? The point is your heart being right. right? And here we see Zacchaeus' heart is right. He gives Jesus his entire heart. And so here we have this man, Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, who is very rich and who is an outcast in their culture. Right? He was a Jewish man who has, was working for the Roman government. Okay, and he was an outcast on the fringes of society. Okay, and so we have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is rich and an outcast, and yet he is saved. And once again, we see the overall theme of the gospel come to light in this climactic story. Right, that Zacchaeus was rich and an outcast, and yet he is still saved. God has done the impossible. Right? Not only has he sought out the outcasts right, of, of the time, right? the, the ones that people had written off as unreachable, right? but also again, Jesus himself taught that it's, it's impossible for a rich man to be saved, and yet here we have an outcast and a rich man that Jesus tells us is saved. Right? In, in verses 9 and 10, Jesus responds, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of came to seek and to save those who are lost. Right, and, and there we have, again, the stamp on this entire section of Jesus' public ministry. What did Jesus come to do? To seek and to save what is lost. Right, what was he teaching through all of these miracles, through all of these interactions with his disciples? Okay, is... is I came to redeem the unredeemable. What is impossible for man is possible with God. Even a tax collector, even a rich man, he can be saved. Right? And we see this climax in this story with Zacchaeus. And then in the gospel, you notice the next story in, in 19 starts the new section. Okay, there's a parable about this king. Okay, entering a city. And, and in this parable, again, is a foreshadowing of the triumphal entry. Right? Because Jesus, again, is the one true king. And so this, uh, again, we see verses 11 through 27. Okay, is this parable that foreshadows the triumphal entry that starts this next section of the gospel, this final section of the gospel. 
And so I now I want to jump in, though, at the story of the triumphal entry in Luke 19, picking up at verse 28. Okay, where it says, after telling this story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Okay, now this... This event, this triumphal entry, is one that we typically celebrate on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. Okay, and this event, triumphal entry, starts Holy Week, right, of Palm Sunday, then we go through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday. Okay, now, as we are, um, again, looking at this account of the triumphal entry, okay, Luke does not mention the palm branches, okay, but this is the same event. Okay, there's some Palm Sunday. Some of the other gospels talk about palm branches. Here he only mentions coats. Okay, but this is the same event. Okay, now at this, God is at work through this event. Again, God has sent Jesus as the chosen Messiah, right, to, to redeem the world, right, to die on a cross, to rise again on the third day. This, this event, as he enters the holy city, okay, enters in into Holy Week. God is at work here. This chosen Messiah is entering the holy city, Jerusalem. And this is the first big event, again, that ushers in the last week of Jesus' earthly life. As he enters Jerusalem, he never leaves Jerusalem. Okay, well, at least not in his earthly body, right? He rises again out on the third day after the cross. And then, of course, he does leave Jerusalem, right? But in his resurrected body, not in his earthly body. Okay, now with that said, as this comes in, right, we see there's all kinds of prophecies being fulfilled in this event. In fact, you can go back through the Old Testament and you can look at these different passages that describe this event from thousands of years before it happened. Okay, and there are certain events. Now, in the follow-up questions for this week, there's a list of Old Testament scriptures you're going to look up that, that foreshadow and prophecy this one story. Okay, the God is at work here. God is doing an amazing work through this event. Okay, he is ushering in the chosen Messiah. And so now the, the question I want to present to us this morning as we look at the triumphal entry, right, is how do we engage into the work that God is doing? Okay, first off, how do we react when we're being pursued? And we see that from Zacchaeus. And now from this story, how do we engage in the work that God is doing? Because God is doing an incredible work with the triumphal entry. Right? And yet in the story, we see there are several roles that are presented in the story of how these people engage and get involved in this incredible work that God is accomplishing through, through this, this time. 
Okay, the first one is this. The first one is pretty obvious. It's the disciples. Okay, the first role is the disciples. Okay, they, in this story, are the detail-oriented, get-it-done person. So again, Jesus sends them. They're the, they're the go-for people. Right, hey, go, go get this colt. Okay, f- get the colt. Bring it back, right? They're, they put the, the coats on it, right? They're, they're the ones that get down to the, to the finite details to make the event happen. Okay, now these people are people that we need, right? We need, because everything that happens, there are people working behind the scenes, right, that enable stuff to, to go off the way that, that they happen. Okay, the example is just even our service this morning, right, as I stand up here on the stage and, and speak to you, there, there are entire teams of people that are working behind the scenes that do every week to make this service happen. Okay, and we need those people. And so often they go unnoticed because they are in, in the background, right? They're working on those details. They're never seen. And yet if they didn't do what they do, the, the service or the event or whatever they're working on would be drastically different. Again, if the disciples didn't pull their role, right, these prophecies would not have been fulfilled. Okay, now so many times, again, the peop- these people go unnoticed and unthanked. And again, I want to stand here today and tell you, if you're one of those people, and there's a lot of those people in this church, if you're one of those people that's working behind the scenes and working to get on the details that I forget about and all those things, right, thank you. Okay, thank you. Because you are are needed. And you're valued. Okay, the disciples were here. They they got it done. They got the details taken care of. Okay, the the next role that we see in this story um, are the cult owners. The people who owned this donkey, okay, and they are, they serve as the provider. Okay, these providers, again, we need these people. They're often, again, the ones that are behind the scenes. They are not often noticed, right, but they, they help provide resources and funding so that things can go off the way they go off. Okay, now, again, I wish we didn't have to worry about money and budgets and all those kinds of things. I wish we could just do church and it would be amazing, right? I wish that's the way our world works, but it's not. Right, and so we need, again, we need resources, we need money, right, we need the fund, all of those things. And so, again, there are a lot of you here, right, that are, that serve in the provider role. And again, thank you for that. Okay, as we see, the, again, these cult odors, they have this role in the story. Okay, and um, again, we know that they took good care of their stuff. Okay, because this cult was there where it was supposed to be, right, and they, they were paying attention to it. The disciples show up, they start untying this donkey, and notice they ask the question, hey, what are you doing messing with my colt? Right, they were paying attention, right? They, they had taken good care of the colt. It was ready to be ridden, even though it had never been ridden, right? They, they were paying attention to those things. They asked the question, okay? And, and again, that's, that's the thing about providers is that they're good with their stuff. They're very good stewards. They pay attention, and yet, notice the only line they have is the question, Right, we never see their reaction in the story. Now, obviously, their answer is implied because the next sentence, right, is that the disciples show up with this stolen donkey and give it to Jesus. Right, and yet, so we know their reaction, right? Their reaction, right, and again, they give them this one line, well, the Lord needs it. And notice their reaction, right, is, is the reaction that we see in providers. Oh, well, if God needs it, then take it. Do you need two? Right, if God needs it, then, then take it, by all means. Right, I, I've got a horse too, do you need that? Because God's work is that important. 
to the providers. Right, again, we see them that come out. They see this person, they get it done, detail-oriented person. We see the provider. Right, and then we have the crowd. Okay, and, the, and what does the crowd do? The crowd praises and worships Jesus. Right, they, they consume the event. Right, they participate in the event. Okay, and, and I'll tell you is that the crowd, when they see God at work and they see, again, the, the service go off, right, the praise and the worship happening, when they see people come to Christ, right, this is the biggest encouragement for the details people and the providers is when the praise and worship people praise and worship. Okay, I'll tell you is uh, several years ago, I, I took a group of students, there's a, it's called IYC, International Youth Convention. Okay, and our, our Church of God puts on this huge convention for teenagers every other year. Teenagers come from all over the world to this event. There's literally thousands of them. Okay, I, uh, several years ago, I took a, a group of student leaders to IYC to help serve. We were, we were the detail, get it done people at this event. Okay, one of the things that we did uh, at that was we went in um, the night before the big, huge main session where literally thousands of teenagers are going to come in here into this service. We went in and we prayed through the road. Okay, in this, in this huge auditorium. Okay, we, we each took a section, we prayed over the chairs, okay, and with these students. And, and then that night, right, the service happens, and, you know, music is awesome, the, the message was great. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of kids respond to this message. And, and in the midst of this environment, I turn and look at these kids, right, that were in an hour before in this empty place, praying through the place. And I tell you, them seeing what God did because of their prayers, right, again, that nobody else knew that they did, right, was so incredibly impactful to their faith. It was so encouraging to them. Okay, and again, I will say, part of the detail of people within our church is we have people that go through and pray through the chairs before our services every Sunday. And again, seeing people show up and seeing people hear God's word and, and seeing God change their life and praise and worship is is. There's no bigger encouragement to the details person and to the provider, right, than to see people participate in praise and worship and to see God work through it. And then we have the last role. Okay, the last role is the Pharisees, which play the critic. Okay, these are the people, which again, this is not a surprise in the gospel. We've seen the Pharisees be the critic the entire time. Okay, but in this story, right, they come up and they, they, they tell Jesus in the midst of this royal procession into the city, right, they tell Jesus, hey, they shouldn't be saying that about you. Okay, they come up and they tell Jesus what's wrong in this event. Okay, now, they, I would say the, the critic here is, um, gets a bad rap. Okay, we all know somebody who's a critic, right? We all know those that, that it seems like all they ever tell us is what's wrong, right, with the service or with the event or with whatever it would be. Okay, now when you think about the critic, though, I will tell you, this is a very critical role. Okay, and it's not always, should not always be seen in a negative light. Okay, I do, one of the things I use in premarital counseling with couples, and they go through, if I do their wedding, I do premarital counseling with them, they take this test called the flag page. Okay, and it's a personality profile deal, but in the flag page, it puts their personalities into one of four countries. Okay, and th these are the countries that it puts them into. Either control, fun, perfect, or peace. Now, most all of us are a combination of these four countries, but there's one that's going to typically rise to the surface. Now, what, why I bring this up is because uh, one of the things that I've learned in using this tool is the perfect country person. 
Okay, if, if they're if a very strong, perfect country personality, okay, they are the person that, that is the critic. They're the person that points out what is wrong about whatever they participate in. Okay, now, that because they want it to be perfect, and if it's not perfect, according to their definition of perfect, then, it's, then they, they tell you that it's not perfect. Okay, and therefore, they take the role of the critic. Okay, now, the interesting thing, as we break out of these personalities, realizing with a perfect country person, Okay, is that they only tell you what's wrong if they care. Okay, that's how they show that they care. Okay, again, if, if when my wife tells me what I did wrong in my message, okay, I know, and she does it every week, by the way, if, <laughs> that she tells me because she cares. Right? Now, for a perfect country person, if they don't care, they won't tell you anything at all. They, they still see what's wrong, but they won't tell you because they don't, they don't care. So the way a perfect country shows that they care is by telling you what's wrong. Okay, and, and like I said, oftentimes they get a bad rap, right, because, because they, they're constantly telling us what's wrong with what we're doing. Right? And this gets annoying to everybody else in all the other countries. Okay, but as we realize that, Okay, we know, right, that either you are the critic or you're not the critic, and you usually know which one you are. Okay, perfect country people know that they're perfect country. Okay, now first, I will say, if you are not the critic, if that's not you, okay, realize that you need these people in your life because they make you better, and they push you to keep growing. Okay, you need these people in your life. Okay, if you are not the critic, know that. Now, if you are the critic, Hey, let me tell you this. If you are the critic, you need to realize that sometimes you're wrong. I know, with all gas, right? It's true. Okay, now, now a lot of times you're, you're right on. You are exactly right in the things that you think need to be changed. But there are some times that you're wrong. Okay, now in this story, in the triumphal entry, when you see the, the critic come to Jesus and say, Jesus, those people should not be saying that about you. They were wrong. Because Jesus is the one true king. He is the Messiah. And look at how Jesus responds to the critics. Verse 40, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Right now, again, the critics in the story, right? We need them in our life. But yet, in this moment, they were wrong. Right? They said, Jesus, they shouldn't be worshiping you as a king. And Jesus says, no, if they don't, then creation will burst out in praise because I am the one true king. I am the Messiah that is being ushered into the holy city to accomplish what God has sent me here to do. Again, I just encourage you, whether you're the details person, you're the provider, right? You're the, the crowd, the praise and worship person, you're the critic. No matter how you express your involvement, be involved. Care about what God is doing. Right? And be involved in what God is doing because he is as much at work today as he has ever been. Okay? And he is redeeming those that need to be redeemed. Right? He is seeking out the lost. Okay? And be involved. Don't let the rocks cry out in your place. Be involved. Now as you look at those roles, right, we can all identify with some of them. Right, maybe at different times, different situations, right? We've all been one of those roles. 
Maybe you can identify more with one than the other, right? But no matter what role you serve, be involved. Care about what God is doing, right? Pursue him, journey forward, right? Because as we know that, and just as we learn from Zacchaeus, and as Jesus is leading into this uh, time, right, is that he came, right, to seek and save what was lost. Jesus came to do the impossible, to find the lost, to redeem the unredeemable, to love in the way that the world had never experienced before. And are we going to be involved in what God is doing? Here's my final thought to you this morning. Jesus is the one true king, and he is still seeking to find what has been lost. How involved are you in his plan to redeem the world? Again, our involvement starts right, with joining the journey, receiving him as our savior, inviting him into our life, confessing our sins, being saved, right, to redeem ourselves. And then are we a part of the work that he's doing to redeem the world? I hope so. Lord God, that is our prayer this morning. God, that, that our soul cries out to you, God, that you would come, Lord, you would redeem us, God, you would change us from the inside out. God, we know that your power, God, can do the impossible. And God, we praise you for that. And God, I do lift up Lauren to you, God, who had this divine appointment this week and she saw your power. God, I pray you would give her, Lord, the energy, Lord, to, to continue, Lord, to represent who you are. And God, be with those individuals that she interacted with, Lord. And God, we pray for all of this, Lord, as we go this week, that you would help give us your power. God, that we would walk into every divine appointment that you've given us. God, that we would react the way Zacchaeus does, Lord, as you pursue us. God, that we would be involved in your work. And God, we pray, Lord, that as we go this week, that you would, we would shine your love in this world. God, we thank you and we love you. We praise you today, Lord, that we can be a part of your redemptive work in this world. God, guide us as we go this week and as we shine your love in your life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.